You're tuned to Radio BCC and this is the Six O'Clock Swill. The familiar tune of country rock harmonica welcoming back the Six O'Clock Swill. A lonely outpost man by three brave culture warriors who form the last line of defence against an advancing army of po-faced, finger-wagging do-gooders hell-bent on stamping out the last vestiges of common sense. Reporting to duty tonight are Private Tim Blair and Legionnaire Simon Collins. I'm Platoon Commander Cater, but uh, since respect for the officer clerks evaporated long ago, I'm prepared to settle for Nick. Later, we'll be joined by Rita Panahi, a member of that crack squad of woke busters who appear on Sky News Outsiders <laughs> every Sunday. But first, gentlemen, um, excuse my runaway metaphor, but uh, am I the only one who detects a new repressive military edge to what we used to really laugh off as woke? Uh, let me start by offering some evidence. There's news from... Uh, from Glasgow, I think that uh, there's a move to enforce vegetarianism on the Australian people one day a week in order to pay for their climate crimes or some such. And look, I, I don't want to really go there, but let's just say that authoritarianism and vegetarianism have got an uncomfortably close past. I just think. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. A certain certain European chap. Uh, I think it was a a prominent vegetarian, wasn't he? It's a non-smoking Austrian, wasn't he? I think that's how the New York Times obit described him in the headline. Non-smoking Austrian painter uh, found dead in bunker. May have been a divisive force, yeah. The more you learn about him, the more, the more there is to dislike about him, isn't there, really? That was a famous line by um, Alan, Britain's Alan Partridge. When he did a, a special Alan Partridge show from Berlin, and he came out from uh, some um, some huge building, walked down the steps and said to camera, "You know, the more I learn about Hitler, the less I like him." <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to claim I wanted to claim that line as my own, Simon, and you've stepped in. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll call the lawyers. Uh, there's been a, a whole bunch of issues uh, surrounding this. We were talking earlier about um, when all the shortages began to hit and and supermarket shelves were being stripped but conspicuously there was whole whole slabs whole uh, shelves of vegan and vegetarian variants that were untouched even by the most desperate consumers so there's always that are we talking about the um scott morrison's refusal to commit to uh, agreeing the uh, the methane emissions pledge in glasgow indirectly here well, it, it, it's another way of shaming Australians, isn't it? You know, it's another way to show we're not only gas guzzlers, but meat guzzlers. <laughs> Look, it's true. I mean, you, you know that great... Um, an advert for a steakhouse, and it says, the worst vegetarian restaurant in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say I'd written that, but I didn't. Yes, yeah, so I, I got hold of a copy of The Land newspaper to see how the uh, agricultural <laughs> markets are reacting to this. Uh, page 5... I read that uh, total sheep meat production increased with an estimated value of $1.4 billion uh, last year. So uh, demand for lamb is still up. Uh, over the page, 
Stud bulls apparently are, are, are fetching six figures. Six figures is a new norm at auction. In, in September, the Angus bull known as Miller Murrah Rocket Man sold for $280,000, more than a quarter of a million dollars. And um, in advertising news, you'll like this, Simon, the, the Meat and Livestock Meat and Livestock Australia's Make Lamb Not Walls campaign has taken home a raft of gongs in the Effie Awards. Uh, I think that's the, uh, that's the Logies, isn't it? That's the Logies for the advertising community, and they've swept the board, Make Lamb Not Walls. And then just underneath, a small headline, Fake meat shares take a dive. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the moment. Uh, I know it's a little bit early, but it might be the moment to, to, for me to deliver the, um, the the week's limerick. Never too early for the limerick. It's, it's never too early to get past the limerick. That's correct. <laughs> once, <laughs> once, once you have a beer in your hand, a limerick is respectable. <laughs> He's got a, a beer in his hand and he's got Rhyme Zone open on his other laptop and he's good to go. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so as you may have noticed, I've started to introduce the concept of limerick titles, which I think is breaking new ground. Well, limericks have never had titles before. This is true. This is, this is uh, revolutionary. This is up there with the printing press. So, um, so, um, so, so last week, you know, it was about... It was about um, the whole uh, C- uh, COP26, and it was called Ode to Pointlessness. Th- this week, I'm afraid I haven't strayed too far. It's still about it's still about Glasgow, but this one is this one's title is uh, Emission Impossible. Okay, Aussie farmers gave Scotty two thumbs when he said, "Look, I've done all the sums, and we simply can't keep low emissions from sheep." Unless we stick corks up their bums. <laughs> we can put all those old hats that people still draw us in, uh, you know, whenever Australians are depicted in foreign media in cartoons, they've still got the cork hats. It's a, that's, that's, Barry, that's Barry Humphrey's fault, by the way. That's Barry Humphrey's fault. It is, it is. Well, let's all blame Barry. But, um, but yeah, that, that's like, uh, you know, the psychiatrist couch and the lone individual on the deserted island. It's a, it's a, it's a, Visual cliche for the cartoonists. Bending the knee, what used to be a sort of optional pastime of the woke, more woke sports people, didn't it? But now I gather it's uh, it's compulsory. Is that right, Tim? That's right. Um, I mean, it's really catching on too. I'm at it. Oh, I drove past the Lawn Bowls Club the other day, and they're all doing it. Turns out that's how you bowl. Um, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. I, I thought. <laughs> I just thought. The old timers are getting woke on us. That could be Australia's contribution to the world, to America, is to yes, introduce yes. to the BLM movement that why why are you guys playing American, you know, white man's American football, white man's baseball? You guys yeah, should be yeah. playing bowls. Yes, white hats matter. So, a chap called Quentin de Kock, brilliant cricketer, he's a, a South African wicketkeeper batsman. Uh, the team were ordered the other day on their way to the ground, only a couple of hours before they were due to play the West Indies, they were, they were told that all of them must take the knee. Quentin de Kock declined to do so and was then stood aside from that game. He was vilified on the ABC in particular as a racist for not bending the knee. I'm not sure how that correlation works. You know, you do this, perform this gesture, 
and it absolves you of racism and convicts you of it at the same uh, you know, if you, if you don't do it, it convicts you of racism. He since has recanted, he's apologised, and, um, and uh, now, of course, he's facing the wrath of people who earlier, earlier supported his brave decision to um, stand up against taking a knee. So he's in a kind of an, an awkward no-man's land now. I'm not sure when uh, South Africa are playing next, but it's, uh, I think more attention will be paid to the pre-game than the actual match itself. What's the rule on this one? I mean, how long do you have to stay bent for? I mean, is it like, you know, the old days of applauding Comrade Stalin, where anybody who sat down within 15 minutes was taken out and shot? I don't, I don't think you can just drop and give a perfunctory <laughs> second or two. You've got to actually hold the pose for a little bit, don't you? I think you so. Do, you do. It would look a bit awkward if you're, sort of, you, if you're down and up before your mates. You, you know, you look like a dork. <laughs> I, I would have thought it would have, people would have got bored with this by now. But it's clearly, it's clearly coming back and going to stay. And, of course, what, what, what's going to happen eventually is it'll, it'll get a bit like North Korea where when, you know, when the dear leader cracks a joke, everybody starts laughing and, and, and nobody wants to be the first person to stop laughing. Mm. So now if taking the knee, if this happens with taking the knee, well, there'll be entire yeah. stadiums full of people will go down and nobody will want to come up with the first one to come up. It'll be too visible. Mm. So people will stay in the state of what I call disingenuflection uh, for an indefinite period of time. I've worked for bosses. I've worked for newspaper editors where if they cracked the limpest, lamest joke in news conference, everybody had to crack up laughing. Do you remember? And it was sort of embarrassing, really. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know a few people who've, who've become editors who were in that in those old rooms, Nick. And um, <laughs> I was talking to one of them the other day, and I said, what was the biggest change, you know, when you went from writing for the paper and reporting to editing? And he said, I suddenly became a lot funnier. I, I think a, lo- a lot of editors <laughs> are, are failed stand-up comics. Just longing for that applause, it seems to me. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Some of them are funny, you know, legitimately so. But you, you feel you've, you've got to withhold your laughter, otherwise you're uh, <laughs> you target you're targeted as uh, one of the, one of those uh, Stalinist suck ups. Speaking of the war against humour, uh, we'll talk to Rita Panahi about this later. But I, I, chaps, I was more disturbed than I thought I would be by the news that. Michael Lunig is leaving The Age. Well, he's not leaving it. He's still got his Saturday gig. He's losing his midweek editorial page gig. I gather it's hit him pretty hard. He's been um, cancelled. He would have thought he was cancelled proof, I would have thought. I think the uh, what's happened here is that for many, many years, I don't know about you guys, but for a long time, he, he kind of established his name, Lunig, by doing sort of sentimentalist, lefty sentimentalist statements. It was kind of a one-trick pony for a long time. And then, but very recently, he's done a prop, couple of real cartoons, mm. and now the now the left wants to wash their hands of him. Soon as he's become a proper cartoonist, drawing attention to issues, they have no no further use for him. Mm. Mm. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, they uh, he's, he's been condemned. But um, I don't know, maybe the odds should pick him up. That would be nice. It'd be good, wouldn't it? That would be good. That yeah, would yeah. Be good. yeah, absolutely. We we picked up John Spooner, of course, another yeah, refugee, another yeah. exile. From the fair and a state. friend of a friend of Michael, they could be reunited in freedom. It could be. It could be <laughs> on the, the other side of the Iron Curtain. Uh, but it's looking more and more like that. I just feel that there's this sense that you know there's there's a, 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 a cold, hard, authoritarian edge to the left right now. 
Daniel Andrews takes it to the nth degree with this new legislation, which I gather will make him president for life. Is that right, Victoria? No more need for elections or something similar. <laughs> uh, he's taken a leaf out of President Xi's book. Well, 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 you know what? At the risk of becoming a bit serious here for a minute, a lot of people on, 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 well, on our side of the fence, if you like, we like to compare what's going on to sort of totalitarian regimes. We say that there's a, there's a kind of a, the left is behaving in a totalitarian way and that, you know, intolerance of dissent and all that kind of thing. There's a very significant difference between historical totalitarianism and what's happening now. In the past, whether it was fascism or communism, the totalitarianism started off with a small group of people who became leadership, whether it was a cult of personality or not. And, and then the rest of the country, the rest of the nation of that state was terrified of not towing the line for fear of whatever would happen to them. Now, and, uh, and there was kind of universal acceptance and, uh, uh, and, and you know, physical salutes like, like taking the knee or heart, Hitler salutes, so on and so forth. But the difference now is it's not a, it's not a leadership group terrifying the, the public. It's the public terrifying <laughs> leadership. If you think about it, thanks to social media, because in the old days, you, you know, it was easy for the, for, the, for the dictators and the leadership because they had control of the press and the broadcast and so on. But now it's, it's a small number of people who are very vocal, who over a few years have gradually upped the ante. And now it's leaderships like prime ministers of democratic countries going to international conferences, scared of not articulating uh, views which don't conform to, mm. you know, the norm. But it's, it's not the norm, is it? It's not the norm. It's uh, expressing views contrary to this. It's, to the, this, it's, the, le it's the left orthodoxy. These yeah. cells, yeah. That's, 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 that's the end of my serious contribution for this week. Well, I thought you had another one to make. I thought we were, I thought we were going to go on... That Tim and I were quite excited by the idea we would discuss the latest on the pasty-faced embassy squatter. Yes, our infamous new tanned Ecuadorian embassy dweller. Or as I like to refer to him, the man who holds the world record for sleepover. Yes, yes, the unwanted guest. The, yes. the guest who never left. Yeah, I gather he's an Australian citizen... And uh, we have some responsibility well, no, to him. In the interest of, to of a, balanced, a balanced discussion on these things. We, we're never anything <laughs> but balanced on this show. Assange is Australia's equivalent of, of, of Marmite. In the UK, Marmite divides everybody down the middle. I sort of, I know you guys um, don't have a lot of time for him. I tend to think of him as being probably not a very nice bloke, but I think that in some ways the government here has, has neglected him and or, has, or has, 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 has not addressed their responsibilities as a government uh, when it comes to his citizenship. And in fact, what was interesting this week is that in their never-ending attempt to extradite him to face charges in the US, the US government has made a sort of concession to the British government saying, listen, if you give, uh, give us Assange we won't necessarily force him to stay in a maximum security prison in Arizona. We will let him uh, complete his prison sentence if he gets charged and convicted in Australia. And what was partly interesting about this is it's the first time for about three years that the word Australia has come back into this debate. 
you know, up until then, he was he was about as welcome here as Rolf Harris. But what what's, what's Rolf Harris got to do with this? Well, he's an Australian who's who's in jail. Rightly so. I mean, you're not arguing that Rolf Harris should be released or... He, barely, he might begin you know, painting again. We can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, there, there, there is actually a lot of feeling in the, in, that he was a bit of a scapegoat for things that, um, you know, you know, it was a bit of a... Moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, no, but... but, 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 but. In terms of... Uh, Playing by rules that uh, others others don't abide. That's pretty much the Julian Assange story. He published information that identified Afghan allies during wartime. He published information that identified intelligence officers. Actually, uh, actually, actually, no. He, re- he 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 released it to newspapers like the Guardian that published it. But he also released online. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, massive unredacted slabs of material. It's not journalism when you just grab the raw matter and just throw it out there. And it, it had deleterious effects, to say the least, during wartime. He is a traitor. But, 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 but newspapers like The Guardian did publish initially what he gave them. And they've never been they've never been held to any account at all. Sure, but I think, look, I mean, I think he's... What, what, my strong feeling on this is that, that yes, uh, journalists who publish uh, leaked material are justified so long as it's in the public interest. Uh, and I just think when you mass dump material, as Assange did, not only have you do you not know if it's in the public interest because you know what's in there, but you're recklessly placing people in danger uh, for no reason whatsoever. I think that the, the fact that something is secret held secret by the government does not mean that its release is newsworthy. It has to pass a much higher criteria than that. There's very good reason why And if why it's likely to get people killed during wartime, I think uh, at that point any issue over Mr Assange's rights are largely beside the point. Well, well, I, I understand your point. I tell you your point. But we don't live in America, and America has the First Amendment, which is about freedom of expression. And I, I, think, I think what he did... Was not in was not in in any way a breach of the First Amendment. In in the law, you, you talk if you want to run a test case, you talk about a clean vehicle. I think the problem with Assange is it's not a clean vehicle against which to run it. A... Oh, he's a rusty 1968 combi with one missing wheel and uh, and a he- leaking cylinder head gas. So, Tim, look, we've, we've got to go and read a read a penny in a second, but before we do, I gather you're about to drop some uh, information on us. Yes, some information about the word drop. Oh. Let me run by the panel a, a sentence that um, appeared, or a headline that appeared this week in the News Corporation newspapers. Midnight oil drop climate action anthem. Now, does that sound like Ooh. good news to you guys or bad news, that midnight oil have dropped... A climate action anthem. Sounds good. Am I wrong? It sounds it good. It sounds, it sounds great. Good, but, but then I don't trust the source, Midnight Oil. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. It's actually very bad news because the word drop is now being used routinely, something that's migrated from the online world to the proper world. It's used routinely in place of launch or release. So when you hear the cool young kids say that a new album has dropped, they mean it's been launched. So this, head, this headline actually refers to the launch. Let me run by you a couple more headlines. McDonald's drops signature crafted burgers. Good news, bad news uh, for McDonald's. What do you think? What does that headline mean? I, look, I, I don't think... I 
McDonald's should drop anything. I mean, it's bad for hygiene, isn't it? Are they going to scrape it off the floor? <laughs> I, no, I, well, I, I, I think, I think in, a, in a corporate context, I think, I understand what you say. I think the word, I think the corporate context, the word drops means runs, runs a mile from when they realise <laughs> it might reflect badly them on social media. Uh, no, this, this headline actually refers to them stopping a particularly complex range of handcrafted burgers because dropping as in rejecting, scrubbing from the menu, it means getting rid of them because uh, they were ta- it was taking too long to cook them and uh, the drive-through lanes were being backed up too far. So they, they dropped them in the sense that normal people would understand the word dropped. Here's another headline. McDonald's drops new chicken menu. Why would they do that? Would it be because there'd been some... I don't know, tomato poisoning or listeria or something. People don't go to McDonald's for chicken, probably. No, this this actually means that they've launched a new range of chicken products. So we've got yeah. to, we've got we've got to we've got to drop drop and just this is how con- this is how confusing it could be. Let's suppose we have a band called Drop. I imagine they're kind of I don't know a Scandinavian retro synth outfit. You know, Simon would like them. And let's say Drop, our favourite Scandinavian imaginary band, Drop launch a self-titled album. What's the headline there? <laughs> drop, drops, drop. <laughs> and, you know, Simon's very happy by it. He's made, I'm looking at him now, he's smiling because his favourite band's launched a new album called Drop, named after themselves. But Simon would be very sad two years later to read exactly the same headline. Drop, drops, drop. <laughs> Simon is sad because <laughs> because that headline refers to the band's controversial decision to drop founder and charismatic lead singer <laughs> Torgan Drop from the outfit. To, but, you know, to be fair, Torgan was an ass. He was very mean to Matthias and to Stefan. Uh, he was a notorious perfectionist. So he, was a, so he was a he was a, he was a drop kick. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and by the way, if you're going to be spelling his name, it used to carry the umlaut. But he dropped it. Well, let's let's uh, let's just drop this topic for a moment, but mark it on the whiteboard <laughs> because I think this is one we want to take up with Kel Richards next time he's on. Surely, uh, before we look before we go to Rita, let us note that it is nine weeks since we dropped. We dropped the first episode. Six o'clock swill on the world. Hey. Yeah, and and guess what. It, it's taken us only nine weeks to get a website. We've got our own website. When, when, when did that drop? I didn't hear. www.radiobcc.com. What about that? Are we going to archive all the shows there? www.radiobcc.com. Go to that website Fantastic. and there really aren't many problems in life that you won't be able to sell. And, and what's more, what's more, I, I splashed out. I paid another $3.94 an email address, uh, which is uh, nick at radio Uh Since it's $3.94 an email address, I didn't want to splash out and get one for all of us, but if you want to write to Tim or Simon, <laughs> I'll forward it. Heavily redacted, of course. Heavily redacted. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, you can send yeah. all your comments there. I've also been instructed to tell everybody to listen on Apple Podcast if you yes, can. Yes, uh, and give us five stars. That's compulsory. That is like bending the knee. When you listen to this show, you must give us five stars. And uh, that'll help us apparently go up the rankings. And um, believe it or not, they're, they're, you know it, it's an unfair world. There are people out there who are still 
watching ABC's Q&A have yet, yet to discover there's far better news commentary available on Radio BCC, 6 o'clock swill, so please put them out of their misery. Tell them we exist, and uh, that's just about it. We're back with Rita Panahi in a moment. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast former bank manager and conservative commentator Rita Panahi. Welcome, Rita. <laughs> Hello, good to be with you. Hey, Rita. Look, um, first of all, we've got to be so much to talk about to you about Simon and and Tim are really just desperately just trying to get in, but I'm just going to get in with one question before they do. Look, uh, how bad is Wikipedia? Let me give you an example. Pine Bluff, Arkansas, a city in Jefferson County, down there in the Arkansas Delta, about the size of Albury, I think. That's so far, it's, that's accurate. It's probably going to go pear-shaped from yes. there because Wikipedia seems to be updated by either people who are obsessed with updating their own profile or by people who are just obsessed activists yes. who want to update others' profiles. So I take no interest in You're it. You're getting to my point. So it's nurtured a startling array of famous people. Many of them are in its Wikipedia entry. Mike Huckabee. 44th Governor of Kansas, candidate the Republican Party presidential nomination in 2008-2016, host of the talk show Huckabee. We know all about him. He was a pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Pine Bluff from 1980 to 1986. Junior Collins, French horn player with the Glenn Miller Band, a member of the Miles Parker's original non-tet in the birth of the call he's from there gospel singer Snoky norfolk jr nasty willie rofe offensive tackle with the detroit lions they're all listed right but there's one that's missing rita panahi you're perhaps pine bluff's most famous daughter tell me about it <laughs> well i couldn't tell you a thing about it because um I haven't been back there so it's one of the places i want to do as part of my next road trip um, proper road trip in the south because yeah I haven't been back so I can tell every now and then I'll look up Pine Bluff and when I looked it up for the first time in years I don't know maybe five years ago um, the first thing that came up was America's murder capital like it had more <laughs> anywhere else and then I was like oh well that's good um, and then I looked it up recently looking up like Tim and I love Zillow which is like realestate.com in the states you can look up property anywhere in america and i looked up just some spectacular properties genuinely nice looking properties for like you know what it would cost well you wouldn't even get a car park in, in melbourne or sydney for that money so it was just ridiculously cheap real estate so so but no i am going to do a drive through i might even go to a razorbacks game and and um, get into the uh, into the spirit of my hometown. Well, perhaps we can buy up the home you were born in and get a plaque put up there because. Um, but, hey, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't even know the address. I'll have to see if I can find that address. But um, I just ask ask the locals. The locals will tell you. 
you know, they'll all know. Yeah, the planet is. There were trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was back in the 70s, mid-70s I was born, sadly, a long time ago. Um, so, yeah, I have not been back. You have the best eye of anybody in Australia for um, political correct lunacy. You you pick it out all the time. What What's, a, what, what's on your mind at the moment? There's never any shortage of it. I mean, you could literally do a, well, we do do a segment on Outsiders called Lefty Lunacy every week. But, you know, I could literally write about nothing other than calling out the excesses and craziness of the far left. And I would never be short of material. You know, I could even restrict it to Australia, but often... Um, there's a lot of more interesting things happening overseas. And then soon you see the same thing in Australia. So it's, 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 <laughs> we're never too far away from whatever insanity is being um, practiced uh, elsewhere. Um, so yeah, there's never any shortage of that. But for the last 18 months almost, I've written just COVID, COVID, COVID. It has been, um, I felt almost like a responsibility to write COVID, COVID, COVID because I've just felt the media in this country, well, the media everywhere, but I think particularly in Australia, has been just so hysterical and, and alarmist and just this relentless scaremongering that I've just felt an obligation to try to at least counter some of that with, I don't know, facts and figures and... and, and oh, that'll never work. Sort of crazy ideas. Come on, come on, Reddy, you know how the media functions. I've kind of missed a little bit delving into that lefty lunacy insanity, but, I mean, there's plenty of lefty lunacy insanity even in the COVID arena. Um, Certainly Absolutely. Is. And if anything, it's only expanded. I mean, it just seems to me that, that when, once you lock down the left, they just sort of talk amongst themselves too much and start getting sillier and sillier. Well, yeah, it was when you first started, I heard some, um, you know, fairly sensible folk going, well, this is going to be fantastic. This is really going, sorry, not going to be fantastic, but, you know, one positive aspect of this crisis will be that we will walk away from these, uh, you know, people and their faux outrages and people getting trying to cancel someone over some tweet they sent 12 years ago. And, you know, but we're going to really walk away from those, um, toxic elements of the culture wars. And no, in fact, it, it just showed what reach those so-called culture wars had and, and what influence. And, and the fact that, you know, the scientific community where you would think it would be immune from that political activism, that it wasn't. I think that's been one of the more shocking aspects of, of this whole thing is... Um, watching the politics play out there um and even in this country to, ha to have people who uh, have almost i don't know enjoyed the last 18 months who yeah. have just been oh they have oh they have yeah i mean you can see already when you know with new south wales opening up and the numbers not doing what they anticipated. Because remember two weeks ago, we were told New South Wales was going to be a disaster zone. Once it opened up, these case numbers were going to... Well, Victoria's got, what, four or five times the cases of New yeah. South Wales. And, and numbers haven't gone into some horrific zone where hospitals are overwhelmed. And 
you see them come up with new alarmist lines now, you know, trying to, I don't know, scare parents about their children or it's, it's, it's just becoming um, evident that some people have really enjoyed the attention and <laughs> fanfare they've had for the last couple of years and they don't want that to end. It's interesting. You look at all the words, all the phrases we've learned during the, the uh, pandemic so many of them sound like really bad British 80s bands, like the monoclonal antibodies would have been a good opening act, <laughs> you know, in, in Shropshire in 1982, or the Chief Health Officers, that'd be a great band, and, uh, and just singing some sort of, you know, <laughs> dirges about death and misery. Um, lately, we've seen um, compulsory taking of the knee introduced by the South African cricket team. If you don't kneel... To our woke overlords, this is um, this is a, an unusual development. Um, South Africa previously left it up to the players as individuals decide what what kneeling method they'd use, but now it's compulsory. And um, their best player, Quentin de Kock, has just said to hell with this and bailed. I'm not sure that this is a um, this is a healthy development. What do you think, Rita? <laughs> you must submit to our racial activism or you know that's not very tolerant or inclusive is it that you either take the knee or you're out son that's pretty uh, vile and i saw the indian team also take the knee which is a remarkable i never saw them take the knee protesting i don't know the caste system you would think that would be a fairly <laughs> um prominent yeah. issue for that country and the fact that it really doesn't get any coverage it doesn't get any um, debate in the West. So you'd think if at any time they were going to engage in some sort of activism about discrimination and equality, that would have been the trigger. But no, it's this... And let's not forget that this whole kneeling bullshit started with the Black Lives Matter activism. And we know Black Lives Matter is a neo-Marxist... Uh, group whose racial um, politics is utterly toxic, who want to dismantle capitalism, whose goals they have stated quite clearly themselves um, are not in any way healthy or mainstream or something most of these athletes I don't think would even understand or support if they knew, knew what they were. But they're all just like sheep take the knee and now they're being told they have to. Um, and, and yeah, it's always it's always the the causes where there can't there won't be any blowback. Like you know, you won't see them take the knee against you know China's aggression or the Uyghurs' treatment in China because you know that will come with a backlash mm. and a financial yes. cost. It's always the easy um, you know we will take a stand against Western imperialism or you know racist capitalism or whatever bullshit there um, on that week. Um, and again, this merging of politics and sport, I think just about, not everybody, but I think the, the significant majority of people who love sports and who watch sports and, and it's an outlet to escape, you know, daily life, I think they really resent this intrusion from political grandstanding into into their pastime, whatever their politics. Um, I, I don't think it's something that most sports fans 
um, enjoy, um, particularly when it's so vacuous and, and yep. meaningless. You know, we're actually taking a stand against, I don't know, the treatment of women in the Middle East, then, you know, I might have some respect mm. for them. You, you must, um, as a woman in the media, Rita, you must have a great deal of sympathy for uh, the difficulties endured by Lisa Wilkinson, who's only richer than 99% of men who've ever lived, uh, but apparently only one man matters, and that's Carl, Carl Stefanovic. What's your take on the Wilkinson... Well, um... he didn't matter, though, when... <laughs> Well, he didn't matter when he was earning less than her, but suddenly, as soon as he was earning more, it became some sort of a uh, gender issue. I mean, the whole gender wage gap is such... Oh, so much of it, again, is just such vacuous bullshit that is dismantled very quickly, you know, to, to try to um, uh, present people who are in different industries with different experiences, earning different wages as... as somehow caused by sexism or misogyny or some sort of patriarchal bloody oppression is again it's bullshit so so you're saying that it's not an issue on the on the outsider's couch on a sunday morning there's no tension over the gender the pay gap disparity between you and uh Rowan Dean and well they, i think they very cleverly try to keep us away from each other's contracts because yeah that could be an issue if, if anything did arise but no i mean the whole thing with lisa wilkinson i mean she's had just a fantastic i mean i just can't believe she would in her memoirs go into such minute detail about an exchange about when she came back from her vow renewal and, and, and get it wrong and when she knows it's, there's a video somewhere i mean i know it was a few <laughs> years back but we're not talking about the 1920s like you know that it's modern era there's a video it was on television mm. and to just be so wrong about every element of what happened is uh, and to think you could get away with it when surely somewhere a video would emerge and of course it emerged very quickly um but you know then the book from i mean i've, I've got zero interest in it I, the whole thing to me is just uh, unseemly but you know it, what we were told by her camp just a few years ago when she left the today show seems to be completely contrary to what's in her own book. So, again, it's like, well, what's the truth here? I mean, this was coming from your camp, and now you're saying, in fact, this is what happened, which is a very, very different version of events. Um, but it has been interesting to watch the likes of Wilkinson and others who live a very privileged life, who really weren't impacted by the lockdowns to the extent of, say, a small business owner whose entire livelihood is destroyed, who, you know, kept their jobs, could, you know, still got their hair done several times a week to be on television and, you know, could leave the house to go and work and see people. And then they're screaming for harder restrictions. Oh, they're yeah. Saying, you know, if we don't do more, it's a schmozzle and the, the, the lockdown isn't a real lockdown because it's not harsh enough and Gladys mm. didn't go quick enough. And it's like, where do you get the nerve to to do that when, you know, you can see the destruction. You've only got to open your eyes to see the harm caused by these mm. lockdowns. It's not like, <laughs> um, you know, there's only gain and no cost. Um, 
so yeah, that that in itself has interested me more than anything in her book, to be honest with you. The the reaction of the very privileged to um to the the whole lockdown mentality that you know that there couldn't be a lockdown that was harsh enough for them. They they just wanted more and more and more. It's the unchecked privilege of the left, isn't it, which gets us. And and the fact that, as you say, there are no facts that seem to matter in in. Uh, in this notorious book by Lisa Wilkinson, uh, it's just how hard you argue and whether you've got the power to shut down people who disagree with you. Speaking of which, uh, you mentioned earlier the, the horrible cancel culture atmosphere around COVID-19. Something happened this week which disturbed me more than I thought it would, actually, uh, and that was um, the sacking, apparently, of Michael Lunig, the cartoonist from mm. The Age. Um, he's done some pretty shocking cartoons in the past, and uh, you know, but but uh, the one he did that he's apparently got sacked over, I thought was pretty good. The Tiananmen Square tank with a hypodermic needle aimed at the lone protester. Uh, but look, I, I gather this is from what I've read of what he said. It's just shaken him quite hard, and that somebody we might have thought were from on the on the left and therefore bulletproof when it came to cancel culture has himself been cancelled. What's your take on it? Yes, you can never be pure enough for these people. So, yeah, you can be from the left, and J.K. Rowling's probably the most um, prominent example of that, a, a woman who's very much left-wing. You know, if you look at what she tweets and what she talks about politically, social issues, she, she's as left-wing as they come, but she deviated on one issue, which was trans ideology and, and the right of women to have their own spaces, and they turned on her. She's a bigot. She's a turf. She's, you know, her name's been removed she, from um, schoolhouses. You know, she's been disinvited to things. Her books, some her, some bookshops in Australia have banned her books. You know, it's crazy. Um, so I'm not surprised with what's happened with with Lunig. Uh, he's he's done some brilliant work of late. I've got to say, there's a couple of his cartoons which I've put up on my excuse me, I'll put up on my Instagram account because they really are just so clever and just cut to the issue. I thought you were um, going to say on your fridge because that used to be the style in Melbourne. You'd have loony cartoons on your refrigerator. But uh, oh God, now they've, is, they've yeah, all been torn. They've been torn down and but the fridges I've, I've have been heard, destroyed. I've heard there's a bit of instant karma in this because certainly Lunig and the rest of them did not come to the defence of Bill Leake when he was so Absolutely. disgracefully attacked for the, his brilliant work. But, you know, I, I think as conservatives, we've got to be better than, than the left and you can't just be, well, you know, you, you, you're, getting, you're getting what you cheered for when it was happening to, to work you didn't like. Um, it, it is, it is depressing that, you know, because whatever you think of him and, and yeah, majority of his cartoons aren't my cup of tea, but he's undoubtedly very talented. Um, and and, and to, to be cancelled over a, a cartoon and that Tiananmen scene with the tank and the lone protester, that is used in cartoons fairly often it's, it's not the first time someone's gone there so but this time it's like oh how dare you criticize ma vaccine mandates and this is the thing that really pisses me off with this whole thing and this again it comes down to the media being fairly terrible on this issue in this country they've completely conflated 
opposition to vaccines with opposition to vaccine mandates, which are two entirely different issues. And now anybody who's against mandatory vaccines, who's against vaccine passports being used long term, is suddenly called an anti-vaxxer. I mean, that is just obscene and absurd. You can't make these arguments, Rita. I mean, you couldn't make this argument on Sky News or you might. You could make it on Sky News, but it's not one of the but it's not one of the chunks they put on YouTube. Because it's against YouTube's rules to even say what you just said. Well, yeah, I mean, we can't control YouTube. I mean, YouTube and big tech in general is out of control and and their um, censorship and their influence is being really fairly sinister um, in so many aspects, not just this COVID thing. I mean, remember, lead up to the election, we had a completely legitimate, 100% verifiable story on the Biden tapes, on the Biden files, the the, the, la- the the data from that laptop. And they colluded to bury this story, to discredit it, to ban it. Twitter, in fact, banned the New York Post's account and banned any accounts who posted the story or deleted the post. So... If you told me even, say, five years ago that that could happen, I would have said, you know, you've you've been, you're delving into conspiracy theories. There's no chance that could happen. There's no chance that big tech would bury a legitimate story to advantage one political side. But they have done it. They buried the lab leak story. The people who who put forward the lab leak theory were called yeah. conspiracy theorists and their accounts got banned. Um, mm. And now even the Biden administration acknowledges that is very much a legitimate theory. And, you know, it, it, it certainly is the most logical. Rita, uh, Tim's a petrol head around here. I don't want to venture into his territory, but I, it seems to me that uh, Dan Andrews, uh, I've never seen him behind the wheel, but I reckon he'd do a pretty mean handbrake turn, wouldn't he? <laughs> uh, the way he's just changed gear completely. You know, we were going to go to zero COVID, even even a bit, even a trace of COVID-19 found in the Ballarat sewage would mean you'd shut down the entire state. And he's gone from that in a million miles an hour that they're going to open up. What what has gone on? Has he just... I can tell you what's gone on. It's it's two words. Dom Perrottet. That's what's happened. Dom Perrottet <laughs> happened. And he got absolutely shamed into backflipping on everything he has said for the past 16, 17 months. So when he finally... It was only end of August that he finally abandoned COVID zero. So he was COVID zero all the way. Him, Jacinda and Anastasia and Mark McGowan, all on the same page. End of August, he said, it's not a possible now with Delta. But he said very clearly in that press conference, 31st of August, that we can only open up with a number very close to zero. It may not be zero, but it can't be in the hundreds because they would just get away with us. We can't open up at 70 or 80% with hundreds of cases. Well, they opened up with thousands of daily cases, 2,000 plus. Um, And why? Why has he walked away from the roadmap he released a month ago? Because Don Perrottet um, opened Sydney and he accelerated the opening and he kept um, being bolder with his decisions. And Victorians have been able to block out what's happening in the rest of the world, the fact that so much of the world is living relatively freely, but it's hard to block it out when it's happening in Sydney and <laughs> everyone there is free and we've still got a curfew and, 
you know, everything's locked down and dying. So, yeah, Dom Perrottet is the best thing that's happened to Victoria for a very long time, I've got to say. I wish ICAC did its work a little bit quicker. Could have could have got him six months ago. Imagine that. <laughs> Good call. Look, um... <laughs> You, you, we've all got day jobs to go to. You particularly are in heavy demand. I might just, if, if, if I can, if I can just squeeze five minutes more out of you and, and give the floor over to Tim and Simon for quick last observations or questions. Yeah, Rita. Um, now, one thing that might, I, I, you know, with the needle swinging between uh, Texas and Florida, uh, we've <laughs> lately lately discovered uh, Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor has extended an invitation to... Ron. Oh, Ron's... Well, Ron's just made one of his best moves yet. What with all various other states introducing mandates for their police that they must be vaccinated, he's, um, he's now offering $5,000 for uh, police from other states to move to Florida and sign on. It's a five grand sign-on bonus before you've even <laughs> arrested one perp. So... I think I think Ron's stolen a bit of a lead there in the Florida Texas contest. Oh, he's just he's got a genius about him when it comes to political instincts. Um, just on so many issues, he picks what matters to people and what resonates, and, and just goes in with, with a policy which benefits Florida, but then makes the rest of the country look like look idiotic. So he's, he's an expert <laughs> at that. Now, Rita, we, could, we, we will be demanding and pestering and battering you to come on again. But also, um, please keep us uh, up to date with your real estate purchase plans in the States because anybody who's thinking of investing in real estate could be do well to follow you. <laughs> Wherever you go, prices will rise. Um, the the neighbourhood will start going up right away. But um, thank you, Rita, for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks very guys. Much. See you later. Bye. Cheers. And believe it or not, that those were just the highlights from an extensive interview we recorded with Rita earlier in the week. And so as a special bonus, I'll be playing more Rita at the end of the show. What else is happening in Glasgow, Tim? Garbage strike. Perfect timing. So mm. Glasgow Garbos. It's a... They've, uh, they've previously had some pretty epic strikes. I, I wrote a couple of little things about it during the week. They had a blinder in 1975. They had to bring the army in to fight rats. Rats. Oh, they've got a lot of rats there, I gather. Somebody was... It's a rat capital. A million rats in Glasgow. There's three rats for every... Oh, yeah, yeah. These rats, uh, they're living high on the... Well, high on piles of rubbish, really. And Glasgow's traditionally got garbage problems. I mean, wasn't there even a Scottish band called Garbage? They're actually pretty good. Um, there was a band called Garbage. They were okay. Remember them? Uh, 2000s. But they've got 30,000 more people arriving in Glasgow, producing all manner of garbage, you know, quite besides the stuff they're going to be talking about during this conference. How is Glasgow, how are the average citizens meant to cope? By the way, there's also a transport strike, I understand, is planned. Um Various. They've all gone out. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's party time for Glasgow for the unionists. They're uh, they're bailing. This is not going to be an attractive backdrop. And and 
The other thing that the organisers of COP26 have done, they've repurposed an old mascot from, I think, four years ago. I think it was, it's meant to look like a seal or some damn thing, but um, they've repurposed it as the mascot for this conference. It looks like a rat. It looks like a goddamn rat. A big old ambulatory, two-legged, you know, ugly rat. It's it's a perfect symbol, really. It's about one of the few... You know, all these conferences have their little symbols and their their things, but uh, most of them don't match. This one does. But they've just nicked this off Beijing, haven't they? Do you remember in the uh, the famous Copenhagen conference? I thought, no, Copenhagen, the rat, was the symbol. Do you remember? I remember... I remember our former Prime Minister saying something about rats, rat copulation or something. Well, they can try it out on this poor little mascot. I'm not sure whether it would go down too well with <laughs> with, uh, with Ratty McRatface. Is it legal in Scotland? Is that legal? I don't think the laws matter a great deal in Glasgow, do they? Has anyone ever obeyed one over? I mean, I haven't been there. You've been there. You've been there, Simon. You've been there, Nick. Urban planning was never their great strength. You know, after the World War Two, they... There's these pictures online. You can go and look at them. The bulldozers moving in and demolishing the tenement building so they could house people in these fantastic modern purpose-built high-rise flats. And then in the last 10 years, there's pictures online of them demolishing the flats. It was the architectural social engineering experiment that, that went horribly wrong, but it, but it didn't go horribly, horribly wrong until it had been copied in every city in Britain. Yeah. Uh, and it was, and in Australia, and it was, a, and it was a disaster. Yeah. Um, little known, little known engineering fact: they were built using a technique called plattenbaum, which was basically where they put steel frames up and then put great slabs of concrete on. They could build these very quickly. The only other country where that technique was used was East Germany. It says it all, doesn't it? Really. I, I prefer the the Soviet way of doing it, where they, I mean, you you referred to the massive. Um, need to demolish these structures once people realise that they're rubbish. But um, the Soviets, they were very cleverly, they built in a sort of a self-destructive ability for their apartments and <laughs> buildings and uh, bridges, and they just fall down by themselves. They're, they're, you know, say what you will about Soviet-era efficiencies, that's got to be right up there. That's very good. They're still falling. Yeah. They're still falling yeah. down today. And so Glasgow, you know, I don't envy the prime minister. Or indeed, anybody going there it wouldn't be my choice of destination right now. My choice would be Woi Woi, actually, yes. Tim. Yes, and uh, that's place. where I'm heading next week. Woi Woi, the town so good they named it twice. The the. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how many Australian towns, um, were, were, you know, suffered this. Well, enjoyed the same um, reputation as mm. Wagga yeah. Wagga. Woi Woi, the pearl of the central coast, uh, former former home of Spike Milligan, of course. The um... there's there's a beautiful uh, little documentary he made on visiting his mother in Woi Woi, and you can look it up on YouTube. And uh, he unfairly refers to it as uh, the world's only above ground cemetery. I thought that was a bit unkind, but uh, and also also untrue because New Orleans has has above-ground cemeteries as well because uh, New Orleans is below sea level. It's funny you should say that because uh, Spike Milligan is often credited with, uh, with the epitaph of I told you I was sick. Now, I've been to the, 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 the above-ground cemetery in New Orleans where there is a gravestone 
that has exactly that epitaph that predates him by about 75 years. So his whole act ah. was stolen from Louisiana. More plagiarism watch from Simon Collins. I'm going to demand, we've got a bridge here and you'll cross it when you arrive, um, uh, the, the Spike Milligan Bridge. I'm going to have it renamed after, I don't know, some prominent Louisianan um, identity. I'll, I'll campaign to have it repatriated or reversed. Mm. Look, before we wrap up on climate change, I was um, I had a call from uh, my old mate Leighton Smith from uh, News Talk ZB in Auckland. He runs a very fine podcast out there and uh, wanted me to talk about the whole Glasgow thing. And I thought, well, I'd better look up. I mean, how is New Zealand doing, you know, with, with the Queen of Woke, Jacinta Ardern, in the climate state? So in what, on the run, on the, how many runs are there on the scoreboard? Uh, so... Australia, it turns out, has reduced its carbon emissions by more than 20% since 2005. So it's well on the way for its 26% or 28% target for 2030. New Zealand, New Zealand set a 30% target for 2030. Uh, mm. Do you know how far they, they have got along that? 0.58%. Oh, sh- shame, Jacinda. Shame. 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 So a lot to do in the second half for the All Blacks, I think. She's um, it's 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 uh, it's all to play for. I mean, Australia's doing better than I, I suppose. We don't like to think we're doing terribly well in this because we're not altogether sure that it's a good idea. But did you see incredible thing? This is this is official. I'm not making this up. This is on the Australian mm. government's website. The carbon footprint of the average Australian is a quarter the size of what it was. In 1860, a quarter, that's not a typo, that uh, Australia is a considerably less carbon-intensive economy in a day than it was 160 years ago. How many coal-fired power stations in 1860? Zero. How many cars on the road? So, Zero. How, so how are, we, how are we generating all our carbon? How many planes, air conditioners, aluminium plants? Zero. Railways were in their infancy. Well, we were burning filthy coal and running horses around and ca- it was a burning candles you're not even burning coal burning wood burning eucalyptus burning burning timber burning dung um you know no, that's what happened it still happens in part but that's incredible and for every you know every every horse produces about three times as much as a car this is per capita though i mean of course there's a lot more australians but we live much more cleaning than we did but you wouldn't imagine that listening to the abc so so all assuming and there's no reason for me to doubt you nick assuming these numbers are accurate the aim of greens to return us to that kind of low-tech lifestyle is altogether well, counterproductive right. Absolutely. but it's it's what a, a shock. When you think about it, it's not that strange, is it? I mean, I've I just sold an Audi, but it was doing about, you know, did about twice as many litres, uh, twice as many kilometres per litre than the same Audi mm. if I bought it 20 years ago, right? They're just doing that. They're just doing that stuff. And it's, mm. I don't, it's a bit about climate change. I don't really mind. I mean, I don't really want to go to service stations to fill up with petrol more than I have to. Um that's just happening because none of that is acknowledged by the, you know, the the, the, the climate emergency brigade who seem just reveling the fact that everything's going to. Why? Because you 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 can no more you can no more posit that kind of argument with them than you can with the fundamental Christians saying, 
But there's no proof that Jesus existed. <laughs> it doesn't, you know. Exactly. It's a religious it faith, it, right? It, it, it's religious. It's, you know, it's, yes, it's, it I, is, I tell yeah. you what, it's a bit like, you know, when, um, I don't know whether you guys were Game of Thrones fans. Um, I, I, I got hooked to Game of Thrones and it was silly, but there were bits of it that I thought were brilliant. One of them, there was a whole episode where there was a, the, the, do, you, do, you, do you remember the, um, the Sparrows, which was a movement that took control and, and they were they were. Uh, uh, no, I don't. I don't know those ones. I'm more familiar with the Pakistani cricket spin-off Throne of Games. <laughs> but they do go but on. They were, but they were basically. It was uh, in Wikipedia they described it, the Sparrows. The leader was the High Sparrow. He is the de facto leader of the protest Sparrow movement that arises as a result of the carnage inflicted by the War of the Five Houses. Although he appears to be humble and compassionate, his demeanour belies his shrewd and unrelenting fanaticism, which offers, often borders on dangerous zealotry. That's Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg. That's Greta Thunberg. If you, if you substitute fossil fuels... She is the sparrow. She's the high sparrow. And they were, you know, because ah. she, she, she doesn't want to take planes. She wants to be humble, you know. But this is going back to that point I made about um, the new totalitarianism. It's the ground up. Not leadership down. Mm. It's 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 yeah. it's 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 the it's the base uh, infiltrated by extremists, and the, and it's the leadership and corporate Australia, corporate world, terrified of not doing what the base is saying, which is at least refreshing. I just think it's great that um, you know a girl who became famous because of her school strikes is going to a city that's overrun with vermin because of a garbage strike. <laughs> you know, it's not really working out. Though. For Greta. I read that she'd invited the striking garbage men to join the protest <laughs> march against climate change. It's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, good luck. You know, I, now, I, 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 don't, I don't know whether this is going to survive. You may, you may want to hit the Simon button for this one. But have you, I noticed something the other day. I was looking at pictures of, I was looking at pictures of Greta, and it, for ages and ages I've been thinking, who does who she it? look like? And I've now worked out who it is. She is facially, yeah. she is physiologically... Physiognomy is identical to um, uh, Stephen Merchant. Stephen Merchant, the tall guy. Oh yes, I know the guy. His agent in that uh, very funny show. Yeah, isn't he a bit more boggle-eyed? Their faces are identical. He could be her. Let's hear a few words from Stephen Merchant just to check. Net zero by 2050. Blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> I rest my case. It's nice of her always to give me a shout out. Tim blah blah blah. Tim blah blah blah. It's very sweet of her. And that's it from the Six Slot Squirrel for this week. Don't forget, you can email us by this brand new thing we've got called email. Nick at radiobbc.com or you can go to our website www.radiobcc.com We're going up in the world and join us next week for the 6 o'clock swirl. Blah, blah, blah.
just mentioned our shared Zillow real estate uh, fantasy hobby. Love it. Where we just look at houses across all the different things. Every so often it's fun to imagine where we might live were we to move to the US. You've got a little bit easier in that case because you're a US citizen. Have you narrowed it down some? I, I know you lean towards Texas, but uh, there are other states in the mix. There's basically narrowed it down to two states. Mm-hmm. My problem is they're two very big states. So <laughs> Texas and Florida. And Florida, I love, and I'm a beach person, as you know. So that's mm-hmm. the only strike I have against Texas. The beaches there aren't fantastic. So Texas has got a, they've got beaches. I mean, they're not. You know, they've got beaches that actually have a lot of oil rigs on them. Well, yes, they're productive, but they're not for fro- fro- frolicking, um, as I like to do. So <laughs> Miami, I, I... But then again, there are just so many places in Miami that seem like fantastic places to to live. So this is why I need to do my road trip. I need to do an extensive road trip, get a feel of these different towns, Um and it's probably going to take a couple of road trips to really narrow it down to um, what's the best place to to sort of uh, have as, as yeah, because I do want to definitely live in the States for a period. My son's very keen to move to the States once he finishes school. He wants to live there, maybe go to college there. So has your, has your recent experience of lockdown under uh, General Dan Andrews uh, influenced your decision to seek seek refuge in the United States? (laughs) Well, yeah, those two states have been pretty much, well, Texas opened up early March um, and Florida's been open all year. They they, they opened up last year. So, yeah, I have sought asylum um, from... (laughs) In the great state of Florida, I've gone directly to Ron DeSantis and sought asylum. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, it would be it would be wonderful to um, to have a period of just uh, I don't know settling down in the states and 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 exploring the country. And um, I've explored Europe a lot more than I've explored the states. It seems perverse, given you know that's where I was born and. Um, but yeah, I've just uh, up until recently, we've been going to to Europe a lot. But anyway, Texas or Florida? One day, Tim, our Zillow searches will bear fruit, and I'm going yes. to buy something there. Fantastic! <laughs> I got very excited. I got very excited when I heard you were from Pine Bluff because um, uh, my ex-wife um, was born very close to there, just 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 across the border in uh, in Mississippi, and um, I actually met her in Melbourne. Oh, I actually really? met her. I actually met her in in Chapel Street in a bar in Chapel Street, um, and I remember. I don't know whether you could, you may not because apparently you left there when you were a kid. You may not be able to answer this question, but um, but um, when I the first night I met her, we were we we I think we went on from this place in Chapel Street to a, a venue in St Kilda where we watched a um, we watched a Tex Mex band called Turn Left at Albuquerque, and I've got a feeling they may even still exist, but. Um, but 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 I remember halfway through the set, she astonished me, this attractive young American woman, by turning to me and asking me if I could shag, and I and I remember th- being completely uh, torn. Was I sort of between being delighted that she'd come to this conclusion about me after such a short acquaintance, and I was kind of disappointed that, that what I thought was such a nice young woman had, had moved so quickly. And then she explained that in the South, the shag is a dance, a very popular dance. 
But I was wondering if you if, if you were aware of that. But but I suppose if you no, if you... so yeah, no, I did not grow up there. So um, and I got myself in trouble with the Texans recently um, when I badmouthed Dr Pepper. I didn't know that was a thing you don't do. Um, and all these uh, very popular very soft drink, by the way, yes. Who were welcoming me to their state and telling me, you know, you've got to check out this town. You'll love here. You know, all wonderful, helpful, very welcoming. Suddenly turned when I badmouthed <laughs> Dr Pepper, and it was almost like I was put on the terror watch list immediately. It was, it was just like, no, you cannot. So no, all those sort of, you know, the the the, the Tim would know that probably more about the. Uh, the culture down south more than I would because, yeah, I left when I was very young. I once mistakenly picked up a uh, bottle of uh, barbecue sauce in a supermarket in Texas and uh, was admonished by a fellow shopper for selecting a Kentucky sauce. This is Texas, oh, no. son, she said. And uh, I was uh, put in my place. They're, they're, they're very big on the on the pro-Texan. Don't, whatever you do, I mean, Dr Pepper's a marginal call, but... Don't don't make any fun of a sweet iced tea because that'll have you excommunicated. Oh no, I wouldn't dare. I'm not crazy, but no, Dr Pepper, <laughs> I maintain tastes like cough syrup, and I don't know. It, it, I, I think I called it bin juice, which maybe was going a bit too far, <laughs> but it was. It's hideous stuff. And Rita, you're not you're not you're not unused to upsetting people, are you? You've got a. I don't want to upset got... Texans. They've all got guns. I don't. I mean, <laughs> you, you... I do need the Australian dollar to do a bit better for me. For the love of God, that's not where it needs to be. So. Um, well, Joe yeah, Biden's so we'll doing his best to help that. <laughs> But yeah, we have had some good news today. We could finally leave the country without seeking permission from from the government. Yeah, I mean, that was again, that? one of the more insane overreaches. Everyone just accepted. It was like, yeah, sure, people can't be allowed to leave. Like even dual citizens weren't allowed to leave. You think you you, you could? No, they. I, I know of several dual citizens whose uh, permission to go back to the states was rejected multiple times. Um, so, yeah, finally, that's been removed. Hallelujah. And I think we can thank one man for that. And it's not Scott Morrison. It's Dominic Perrottet. Great man. New so... South Wales led the way with locking its citizens in in 1788. And now it's leading the way out of it. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Rita, it's been a great pleasure to have you on the Six O'Clock Swill. And uh, we shall be watching with incest your real estate uh, portfolio grow. Fabulous. And I'm sure I'll be chatting to Tim, I don't know, like one in the morning when he's doing some slow-cooked ribs or something. If you, <laughs> only person in, in Australia who's got weirder eating times than me is is Tim Blair because he um, <laughs> at, at the most crazy hours is like roasting a side of lamb or, you know, just uh, got something on the smoker. Uh, um, you, you've got to wait until the climate has stopped changing. Well, you know, sharing. You know, when you're eating at that hour, there's no one, no one reaching over to the plate. You've got all the wings to yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> you get to keep all, keep all the crackling. That's the secret. It's a very sad picture, Tim. It's a very sad picture you painted. I don't think it's sad. I think it's clever. <laughs> 
No one wants to share crackling. When the enforced one day a week vegetarian day comes in, Tim will be the only one that can avoid it by getting by cooking in the middle of the night when no police are around. Yeah, oh, when the yes. secret food police are lurking, yeah, yeah, you've got to defeat them by via uh, you know very covert covert methods. <laughs> they, I mean, a smoke detector would probably bust well, me. But apart Nazis from that, the health are going to be onto that next. It will be you know perusing what people are buying in the supermarket. It's, you know how much plant based you've got opposed to processed or meat. Well, you know, Rita, I'm, I'm, I'm vegetarian adjacent because I eat food that eats vegetables. So I think I'm kind of, <laughs> I get a free pass there. Vegetarian adjacent. Good stuff. Perfect. Thank you, Rita, for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks very guys. Much. Speak to you later. Bye. Bye. Cheers.